Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MD. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. And I'm MD. And we're going to jump right into our poll from last week. So I asked you guys, because just a refresher, I asked you when someone lies, as Tracy did throughout the case, does that change your perception of Tracy or just anyone, right? But particularly Tracy, that's who we were talking about. And Tierra said, yes, the only reason she even blames him now is because he took their son, too. She'll never tell the truth, though, because she's already said she didn't want people judging her for leaving them alone. Agreed, Tierra. Tierra. I mean, when I say you hit that thing on the head, the nail on the head, that's... Tierra. It's right. That's why she doesn't want to own it. She was a part of it, in my opinion, right? My humble opinion. Right. She was a part of it. And so at this point, to confess, even if she took a very minor role in it, she just knew about it. The fact that she would come forward and try to confess now makes her look, you know, equally as guilty. So she'll go to her grave with that. Yeah, I agree. Now, Stephanie said once she admitted that she left those kids all night by themselves, (laughs) I became suspicious of Tracy. Why would you take the older girls to their grandmothers and leave those babies at home alone all night? And and Stephanie, honestly, that was the biggest thing for me that just never quite added up. It did not make sense, no matter how much they tried to spin it, why you would take the two two and it's not even the two oldest girls. That's the thing. This because um they it wasn't the oldest, it was the oldest. And the middle. That's who it was. That's mm-hmm. who she took over. The, so it would almost make more sense if she was like, okay, I'm going to take the oldest or I'm going to take the youngest. But she like literally split them up. It, it's it just the math doesn't match. As always. Brenda said, believe it or not, some women will put a man before her children because of low or no self-esteem. It's just sad all the way around. Totally agree, Brenda. It is. Next comment from Nee says, MD sounded just like Candy when she says the lies. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite thing that Candy ever did. <laughs> right. I don't want to, but I think Tracy knows more or is being extremely naive about George. The trip, the lies, the relationship feels shaky. Yes, Nee, it does. Miss Pavy said Tracy did it. Well, they did this together, murdered her own children, male oriented women in the sense of needing validation from them is just pathetic. He was married to someone someone else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. So, um, no, go ahead. Just all that. Yeah. I mean, I echo everything. Like, y'all, we're here. Okay. Seriously. Simpatico. We are tracking. We are on the same wavelength. Yes. So I asked a question in the poll 
it says, after hearing part two, who is responsible for the disappearance of the girls? And overwhelmingly, you guys said Tracy and George agreed. 46% of you said that. So, yeah, I totally agree. And we just only hope that at some point they can find some resolve to this. And because this is an ongoing case, as we get updates on it, if there ever are any updates on it, specifically if this one girl in Houston, Texas, turns out to be who she says she is, then we'll make sure we update you. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so I also wanted to say that we are holding a giveaway on Friday for those of you who are paid subscribers. So if you want to get in where you fit in, you have a day left. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to pull one winner from there and I'm going to announce it on the paid subscription platform. So you have to be a part of the group. You know, we're we're this inner circle. Are you a part of it or no? <laughs> Just saying. Putting that out there. But let's go ahead and get into our crime case for the day. MD, take us away. So grab your coffee if it's the morning or your wine if it's the evening. But either way, let's get into it. Now, I want you to imagine. You know, Steph always has us imagining and puts us in these scenarios. So imagine, if you will, that you are a middle-aged woman. You're a suburban woman. You're a housewife. You have about, you know, five kids. And your role is to take care of the house, to take care of your children, and to keep order, which is a whole job, might I add, okay, that goes unpaid. But... Your job is to, you know, keep up with all of the order and management of your family. And one of the things that you find yourself involved in is taking your children to their practices, right? A true suburban soccer football mom. And you find your people at these practices, at these games. Why? Because you're always with them. I know for me, I have four kids and three of them are involved in sports. And you find yourself at these practices and at these games and you make friendships with these moms and these parents because you're always seeing them. And so today we have our um, case, which is about Tamala Horsford. And Tamala Horsford is this suburban mom. And she made friends with a lot of the, the people on her son's football team. So much and so that a couple of the, the, the girlfriends, the, the, the moms got together and they decided that they wanted to throw a party. Celebrating one of their birthdays, getting together to watch a game on TV, throw back some wine, enjoy each other, and for those that chose to spend the night. Now, Tamala is the only black woman amongst this group of people. All the rest of them are white women. And she doesn't really know them all that well, but she knows them enough because she sees them several times a week. So she decides, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and hang out and enjoy. But the tragedy starts and ends at this party. Steph, what happened? 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So we got to talk a little bit about who Tamala was. MD touched on the fact that she was a housewife, but Tamala was actually born on October 10th, 1978. And I'd be remiss to say that today would have been her birthday. We're actually recording this on a Tuesday and her birthday would have been today. So it's just kind of ironic. Right. And Tamala is from the Caribbean. She actually grew up in the islands. I don't know if I've said that here on Red in the Back or Not, but I just envy the people who came from the Caribbeans. I'm always like, oh, I wish I was a part of that. So she came from the Caribbeans, and we don't know if she had any other siblings, but what we do know, another sibling who has been very vocal is her sister named Summer. She might have more, but that, that information is not you know, provided in the media. Many people describe her as the life of the party. She loved to dance, turn up, have fun. She never met a stranger. The other thing that I really liked about Tamala is that she was always rooting for the underdog. She always stood up for people. You know, she would never let you, you know, bully somebody. I love that. I love that. I I, I describe myself that way. I don't don't know if other people would, but that's Right. Yeah. You know, you don't want to see anybody, you know, left out or not in the crowd, not in the mix. So she was always including everybody. But in 1989, they actually moved from the Caribbean to the Bronx. And, you know, she had a pretty good upbringing in America. But later on, when she was an adult, she moved to Florida, Florida, and that's when she met her husband. His name was Leander. But many people called him Lee, so we'll call him Lee going forward. Lee already had a daughter. And so she bonded with his daughter and, you know, they eventually got married and had five sons of their own. And from there, they decided to move to Cummings, Georgia. Are you familiar with Cummings, Georgia? MD? I, I, not until this case. I wasn't familiar yeah. with it. But yeah. it is in Forsyth County. And so I am familiar with Forces or Forsyth Forces. Yeah, and she was a housewife. Like, she didn't work. So, her main job, which it is a job, by the way, don't sleep on it. She was taking care of the household, making sure everybody was doing what they were supposed to and taking care of business the way they were supposed to. Right. Managing the house is a very difficult job, especially when you do it well. Right. And so, you know, coming from the Bronx, she kind of had a. A, nor- a northern upbringing, right? And mixed in with the Caribbean culture that she had and that she came from. But moving down to the deep south was a little different. And because she never met a stranger, I think she probably thought and her family thought that it was going to be, you know, just everyday thing, maybe with different people, but, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. But we have to talk about Forsyth County because that's the deep south. Georgia, period. I mean, we can have a debate, but Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, that is what we call the Deep South. Most people call the Deep South. And Forsyth in particular had a very, very sketchy past. So I'm going to just fill you guys in. So, you know, indulge me as I take you to history class. In 1912 in Forsyth County, 
there was a public lynching of a black man and it was alleged that he had assaulted a white child. There was no proof tying him to the case, but of course they lynched him publicly. Around this time when all of this was going on, there was rumors that the black residents who were in Forsyth were actually going to like blow up the town. Now, I don't, okay, because I'm struggling with blow up. Like, but you <laughs> and you're going to blow up everybody? Like, how is this working? 1912. Okay. So, yeah, there was this rumor mill that started. And, of course, the white residents, they started to just panic. And they started to push out the black residents. And it was, I mean, you can actually go online, you guys, and look up Forsyth County. They have signs like Confederate, Confederate flags, keep Forsyth white. They actually were able to push out the majority of the black residents. Only three residents stayed during that time. And I just have questions for those three residents, but yes. Yeah, a lot, but it's okay. But, so this is the, this is the... There was, regardless of the fact that we were in 2018 when all of this took place, we're still in the deep south and there are still sundown towns and all of these things still exist. They still permeate in the culture, although a lot of people don't talk about it. So like it or not, Forsyth County, Cummings, Georgia was just a totally different world that Lee and Tamala were stepping into. So fast forward, Tamala is really enjoying her time with her sons and he he's on the football team and she's just having a good time. She would be out there MD with a bullhorn in hand at every last one of her son's games for football season. Go. Are you that person? Listen, or? I am. I am that person. I am that mom. Like I'm not missing my kids' sporting events and I'm going to be the loudest one in the stands. I'm going to be screaming. You're going to hear me roar okay yes i am her she is me we are one y'all together and that's exactly how tamala was so on november 3rd she gets invited to the party that md's talking about md and i were just kind of like talking about like the research that we discovered and md said she thought it was a birthday party but basically it was a celebration that's that's what md said and i agree with that and you know at the end of the day if you uh, if you are a mom out there that can easily like place yourself in this scenario because you live this is your life this is the kind of stuff steph and you i know you would agree that happens like you literally can be at a, a game and you spur of the moment say oh y'all tomorrow let's get together or even that day like hey y'all let's go let's go to the the you know the spot up the street and get some lunch and we'll bring our kids and let our kids run around while we sit and eat and drink and talk right these kinds of things these kind of celebrations happen and it probably was something like hey let's just get together oh and we could and watch you know the game and then oh by the way we could celebrate so-and-so's birthday yeah sue's birthday party yeah so that's pretty much how it was um Tamala got a evite from Jean. So I want to, I'm going to keep touching on these people's names, but Jean is one of the main people that you need to be aware of because it was Jean's house. But so Jean is the homeowner. She's the homeowner, but her friend Stacy is the person who actually planned this party, right? So they invited a total of 10 people, and I'm going to list those people out. It was Madeline, that was Jean's aunt, Nicole. Marcy, Stacy, Bridget, Jennifer, Sarah, and Paula. 
Now, we'll circle back. I know that's a lot of names, but we'll, we're going to circle back. And this was going to be like a girl's night. No kids were there, just the girls. But for one reason or another, Jean's boyfriend by the name of Jose Barrera, he stayed in the home with her, and he wasn't feeling well. So he decided that he was just going to stay in the basement and watch the game and just let the girls be upstairs and do their own thing. And Stacy's husband, Tom, was also there to kind of like, entertainment for Jose, right? So leading up to the night of the party, because the party was to set to start at seven, Lee, Tamla's husband, said that she wasn't particularly wanting to go out. Like, you know, have you ever just been in the mood where you're you're invited to go somewhere and you're just like praying that they break the plans? Like you're just like, oh I'm all all the time. Oh, okay. That's yeah. me all the time. I'm always here for a, a breaking of plans. Okay. So, yeah. So, so Tamela was on that same energy, too. She just was kind of like, uh, I don't really want to go. But since Jean invited her, she kind of felt like, well, I don't want to blow her off, you know, so to speak. So, let me just go ahead and go. So, she really liked Jean. She wants to at least show her face, right? Right. Yeah. You know, just, you know, just in good faith. You know what I mean? So, a lot of people started arriving arriving to the party around 7, 7.30, and Tamala didn't arrive till about 8, 8.30. Now, Tamala left her house, and although she wasn't really wanting to go, she kind of got in the spirit when she got there. Like, I'm going to put on a good face and in good gesture because you never want to come to somebody's house or party empty-handed. She brought a bottle of tequila that was imported from Mexico. Right, so she, and she's the life. Of, she's the life of the party. So although she may not have really wanted to go, the way that they describe her is she's the life of the party. She can she can put on. She can turn on, turn it up, and she did. And she did. So she arrived in white pajamas with paw print, with gray paw print, um, like what paw print marks all over the pajamas, and she had on black socks, and she wore that the entire evening. Now, when she brings in this bottle, she happily gives it to Jean, and Jean is rude I was about to say somewhat rude but no this baby was rude because she opened it up and she wasn't a tequila person I get it but if somebody brings you a bottle of tequila and if you're not a tequila person are you gonna open up smell it and then say oh my god I just threw up in my mouth uh would you do no, that no absolutely not that's you, rude that's, that's completely rude you could just you say don't thank, have you. To drink it. Right. thank you put it down keep it moving right it just that, you know, that just keep that little nugget. Okay? And you're not the only person at the party. So, like, maybe you don't drink tequila, but maybe some of these other women drink tequila. And if nobody drinks it, send it home with Tamala and just say, girl, you know, we don't, we're not, we don't really drink tequila here, but thank you so much for this kind get- gesture. Right. I just thought that was a little off-putting for me. So, Jose and Tom came upstairs during halftime to eat. And while upstairs, one of the ladies actually asked them if they could run to the store and get some more ice. But they come, they run to the store, get some more ice, but they end up staying upstairs for the remainder of the night, right? So the night passes by, and Tamala actually FaceTimes her husband, Lee, after the game to, like, you know, say goodnight, say, okay, babe, you know, the game's over. And while she's on FaceTime with Lee, like, a lot of the, the girls, you know, pop in, drunk talking, talking to Lee. Everything seems like a good time. But not only did she FaceTime Lee, she also FaceTimed her daughter. If you remember, I said Lee brought in a daughter uh, into their marriage. And by this time, the daughter is older and she's actually pregnant with their first grandchild. So she talks to her 
and everything seems fine. Nothing is out of place. And this is when the last guest arrived. Her name is Paula and she didn't arrive until about 10 p.m. And I'm telling you all of these things to get you in line with the timeline of what has happened. We don't know why she was late, but that's when she arrives. So Sarah and Nicole decided to leave. I listed off several names of people who were at the party. Sarah and Nicole decided to leave because they didn't drink because they wanted to go home. The main point of this party, it turned, it was a pajama party because they were like, we're going to drink, we're going to have fun, but we don't want anybody to drive. If you drink, we don't want you to drive. So Sarah and Nicole were like, well, nah, we didn't drink. We had a good time. All right, let's go. They started to play games, card against, cards against humanity. And if you look up online, there is footage of them playing games and they're having a ball. They're just having a really good time. So it's around 1 a.m. and everybody starts to wind down and just, you know, they've had a good time. They're ready to just, you know, pack it up and go to sleep. So Jennifer, who was one of the people who were at the party, she got really drunk. And she was known to get, you know, just a little bit too drunk. <laughs> so, every, you know, you know, it's like that sometimes. So Marcy actually was like, you know what? I'm going to let Jen throw up and then I'm going to take her upstairs and I'm I'm just going to pack it up and go to sleep. But I'm going to go to sleep by her to make sure, you know, she she's throws good. up again. Make sure she's good. <laughs> she's by the trash she's not can. throwing up in, on the floor. Right. So then Tamala, at this point, everybody's kind of packing it up after the games and the fun. And since Jen and Marcy go upstairs, she's like, you know, I think I'm just going to go home. But everyone at the party who was still up was dead set against her leaving because they felt like you drank a good amount. We saw you take a couple of shots, have a couple of drinks. We think you should stay. But the ones who were like adamant that she stayed was Stacy, Tom, and Jean. They didn't, they especially didn't want, they put a little extra sauce on their advice for her not to leave. So <clears throat> Tamala was like, okay. You know, I, I guess I'll stay. So then Lee stated throughout this, like after everything happens, Lee, her husband, he goes on in interviews and he states that he and Tamala were from the Caribbeans, right? I told you she didn't move to the, to the States until about 1989 and all of our island listeners, y'all have to confirm this for us. But according to him, like, they grew up drinking. So to have a couple of shots or to have, you know, six or seven, eight drinks doesn't mean she's going to be sloppily drunk. Like, she metabolized her liquor well. She held her liquor well. She was never sloppy or never, you know, falling down drunk. And he mentioned that even when he talked to his wife on FaceTime, she didn't seem out of sorts or disoriented. She seemed to be fine. And he was fine with his wife driving home. And right, I, and regardless of if he wasn't or not, like, you know, she felt fine. She was, she wanted to leave. And there's multiple ways she could have left, right? Like, if she was too sloppy, like, maybe her husband could have picked her up. It's 2018. Uber is right. alive and well. Yeah, but he just kind of like reiterates that your drink, like basically your drinking is not the same. Is not the same as ours because right. we grew up in a different culture. And I think you have to. You got to take that into You got to take that into consideration. Sure. Absolutely. So Tamala wanted to keep the party going. Like everybody was kind of packing it in and going to sleep. But she was like, I want to party some more, you know, because she was good time Charlie. Tamala was still awake. 
and she just was enjoying her night. So we know at this point around 1, 130, Jean and Jose, which were the homeowners, well, Jean was the homeowner, decides to go upstairs and go to sleep. Tamla expressed to Stacy that she didn't want to sleep alone. She said that, you know, everybody had someone to sleep with, like Jennifer was sleeping with Marcy and Jean was with Jose and Stacy's with Tom. And this is where this account, <laughs> it just gets a little murky for me. I'm not, I'm not really following the path of the logic. So Tamla's like, I can't go to sleep, you know, with anybody. And so Stacy says, well, you know, why don't we put our phones down here downstairs and lay them on the table? And then both of us, both of our phones can sleep together. This is where <laughs> alcohol is coming into play. Because that's why it's not math and stuff. Because <laughs> that's some alcoholic mindset happening. Yeah, because they both thought that was a great idea. <laughs> that is a dumb idea. Because I'm just like, huh? Okay, that's a little strange. So they both do this, and Stacy and Tom then head up to go to sleep. Now, the only people left in the house that are up is Tamala and Bridget. And Bridget was awaiting her husband to come pick her up because Bridget was known for having anxiety problems, like just in general. But according to information, she had anxiety problems when it came to sleeping at other people's homes as well. She always felt like she had to sleep with one eye open. She never knew what was coming. So her husband was coming to pick her up. As Bridget and Tamala are downstairs talking, Jose comes downstairs to get his phone charger he left in the basement. But he claims that the only person he saw when he came downstairs was Tamala. I mean, he saw her like eating some leftover gumbo. But I guess from his vantage point, he could not see Bridget. So he gets his phone charger and he goes back upstairs. Now, Gary, Bridget's husband, shows up and Tamala walks her to the door and she informs Bridget like, hey, I'm about to go smoke a cigarette before I go to bed. Then I'm going to, you know, hang it up. Bridget leaves at 1.47 a.m. We know that because they had a alarm system that chimes every time or sends an alert, I should say, every Somebody time. opens the door. Right. So... Jean got another alert on her phone at 149 that the back door opened. At 150, the back door closes. Then the front door opens at 4:10 a.m. And this is when Marcy gets up to head back to her house because she actually has a new job at the coach store. And her shift didn't start to 10 a.m. So, like, I don't really understand. Other Why than she's up at 4 a.m. Right. But, but maybe she wanted to sleep at her house. Like, right. maybe she's like. I want to go home. I want to be in my house to get ready. Right. Now, Paula leaves. Who Paula was the last one to arrive at the house at 10 p.m. But Paula leaves at 7, 7.30. Then Stacy and Tom get up. And they start to move around. And they officially leave at 8, 8.30. Now, before they leave, Stacy goes downstairs and retrieves her phone, and she sees that Tamala's phone is still there. So she's kind of she kind of feels relieved that Tamala stayed because at the time when she went up to bed, Tamala was contemplating leaving. So she's like, "Oh, good, she decided to stay." Around this time, Madeline, who's Jean's aunt, you know, gets up and wants to start a pot of coffee. So she walks over to the kitchen and right off of the kitchen, there's a window. And she is, you know, starting to make her coffee. And she looks down 
and she sees Tamala lying face down on the grass. She wasn't moving. Her arms were straight down by her side, palms up, and her legs were straight as well. Now, her first reaction was not to call 911. You want to guess her first reaction, MD? It's just, it's so dumb. No, because the first reaction any logical human being would have would either be to run out to the body or to call 911. Yeah, but she gets on her knees and prays to God because she already knows that she's dead. Yeah? I don't know. Because why are you praying instead of running out to the body? (laughs) Because can't we pray and run at the same time? Like what make that makes zero logical sense. Yeah, so she didn't go outside. She just, you know, she dropped her knees, put that pot, coffee pot down, dropped her knees and said a prayer. And then she ran up to Jean and Jose's room. So then still didn't run out to the <laughs> So I still didn't run. <laughs> Jesus, help. Still didn't call 911. Okay. So she runs up to Jean and Jose's room and she claims that she heard water running. So she knocks on the door again. She doesn't hear anything but the water running. And she goes back downstairs to look at the body through the window. Again. Through the window. It's outside. It's outside the door. It's outside the window that you're looking at. It's not even far. It's mere feet. You okay. can't make this type of stuff up, y'all. I mean, you just can't. She goes back upstairs and knocks louder. They respond, and she says, can I talk to Jose? Well, Jean naturally is like, what's going on? Why do you just want to talk to Jose? And And why can't you just blurt out what it is? I'm sorry. I'm just... Okay. Okay. So she says, your friend from the island can't remember her name. Can't remember the only black woman's name that was at this party. Is laying in the backyard and not moving. So Jean and Jose claim that... They were in bed and they did not know anything was going on until that second knock. They said that's what awoke them. But according to Madeline, she heard water. She heard water. So what what was that water coming from? Right. And if you were asleep, why is there water? But can we really trust Madeline's like depiction? She's the same one that dropped her knees instead of running out and checking on this body. Right. But I'm going to play you the 911 call. And just kind of want you to run through what is going through all of these people's heads at this time. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, yes, um, I, I need an ambulance. I'm a to my home. What's the address? 4450 Woodlake Court. 4450 Woodlake? Woodlet. Woodlet, okay. All right, 4450 Woodlake Court. What is your name? My name is John Myers, J-E-A-N-N-E. Okay, and your phone number is 609? Yes. Okay, what's going on? Um, we had people over last night when we were drinking. Most of us went to bed. One of them stayed on the balcony. She was drinking, 
and we just went out outside, and she's been face down in the backyard. It looks like me. I'm guessing maybe she fell off the balcony, but she's stiff. Okay, is she breathing? I, I don't. I don't know. She's face down. Okay. How old is she? At 41. Here, hold on. Hey, this is Jose Barrera. Hey, have y'all checked to see if she's breathing? She's not moving one bit. She's not breathing. Um, okay. I just tried to assess her Tesla. She's completely face down in the yard. Um, she is stiff. Okay. Do you know if she, um, uh, do you see any blood or anything? Where she... Are you there? Basically, that call ends with them sending 911 and dispatchers, police, EMT out. And this is where this story becomes even more complicated than what it was to begin with. Tamla is found face down, arms at her side, palms up, as we said. But I know we can't base everything off of a 911 call. But for that to be the first scene that you see upon waking up, people seem very calm, very matter of fact. No sense of urgency at all. Jose did not attempt any CPR. That's kind of where we left off in that call. Like she's telling him, you know, check to see if she's breathing. I don't know if I should, you know, touch the body. Now, I mean, and I just want you to imagine for a moment that you have people over. We'll go ahead and put the title of friend, okay? You have friends over. And you care so much about these friends because you know that you're drinking at this party, so you don't want these friends to leave. Like, you don't want them to leave if they're drinking because you are wanting them to be safe, right? You wake up and discover that your worst fears have been realized. Like, the very thing that you didn't want to happen, any kind of harm to come to your friends as a result of, you know, your party, your drinking, your activities at this party is realized. And instead of you running to the aid to see, because you don't know, I'm sorry, you cannot identify whether a person is still alive, especially with when they are face down, okay, face planted into the ground. If they're still alive. So why would you not... In Jose's, you know, world, why would Jose not go touch the body? Put your fingers on the the pulse. I mean, touch the body. Is it cold? Like, can you feel around their mouth to see if, like, do I feel any kind of breathing? I mean, I know we're not. I'm not a medical professional. I have no idea how to really assess the situation. But, you know, I've seen enough crime shows. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know, I know basics. <laughs> and that was just not done. And like Steph said, like, I mean, you can't assess everything from a 911 call, but, and, and, and some people are just like by nature, very calm people. Like they just, it's, it's not, it takes a lot to rile them up. It takes, they're, they're not going to be like me. I'm going to be, I'm going to be erratic. I'm going to be, you know, even if I'm not screaming, you're going to be able to sense in my inflection, my tone that I'm, I am bothered. And there's just seems to be none of that happening here. Yeah, not at all. But you know, security, there were security cameras in the backyard, but of course they were not working. They they weren't working. So police arrived and according to the police, they did not find her with her arms by her side and palms up. They found her with her left arm bent at the elbow. Now people argued and argue that the police actually moved her body because they didn't want to investigate this any further. But this is what we do know. There were cuts on her wrist and to the side of her face. There was very little blood on scene. And you have to ask yourself a question. Was she moved? And and before, I, before Steph continues to give you the the visuals or paint the picture of the way the body was. I want to make sure that you guys understand because this is for me, I really, when I first heard of this case back in 20, 2020 is what I feel like when I first heard of the case, I didn't understand this and I didn't understand it until we did our own research, but it's the balcony is 40 feet from the ground. So like to, to, to fall off the balcony would be 40 feet down. So imagine because if you're like me and you have no real sense of like measurement, imagine a two-story home and you're on the, the, the second story. That's about 40 feet down. Go ahead, Steph. Keep painting the picture for us. Yeah. So she was dead on arrival. Like when they arrived, she was deceased. So a night out that she decided to take, that she was hesitant to even go out for ends in this tragedy. Now, the police go to Tamla and Lee's home, and this is where, to me, it gets outright disrespectful. Lee doesn't go to the door. He actually asks his son to go to the door because he's on his way to the restroom. And he asks his son to go to the restroom, and just as he's about to open the bathroom door to go use the restroom, his son stops him and says, hey, Dad, like, it's the police. So he, you know, he hurries up and uses the restroom, comes back out, and he says, yeah, how, how may I help you? What is this pertaining to? And the cops just say, are you Lee? And he's like, what is this pertaining to? And the cops are very combative and aggressive. What is your name, Lee? And he says, well, actually, it's Leander. What is this about? And the cops say very callously, it's about your wife. She's deceased. And they were just insensitive. Like, is that how you deliver news as a police officer, as a community helper? And so Lee immediately thought, like, okay, did she get into a car accident? Like, how did this happen? And they say, oh, she fell off the balcony. And so he starts to put on his shoes and is like, okay, like, let me, I got to get to my wife. But they insist that he can't go because basically they've already taken her body to the medical examiner. 
And they say that she tripped over, in addition to falling off of the balcony, she also tripped over a garden reel. Now, I'm going to put on our Facebook, I mean, on our Facebook and our Instagram, a garden reel. Just to kind of give you a visual, a garden reel is if you're doing like any type of home improvement or, you know, just landscaping. Is that thin piece of reel that it's, I don't even know if it's four inches off of the ground. It's, it's really small. It's very small. Mm-hmm. And they are alleging that she's like tripped over that. After falling 40 feet. Right. And they've already told Lee that it's an accident. They haven't investigated. This is they like, don't have an autopsy report. This is hour three. This, like, and this, you have to understand, this is really, it pisses me off because it's like, as a community helper, as a police officer, it is your role to investigate. And so for you to already be calling this an accident and they haven't even ruled, the medical examiner hasn't even said it was an accidental death, it just shows you the callousness and the combativeness and the aggressiveness of the police officers, right? Right from the beginning. I want you guys to know that they basically, in my opinion, I can't think of another adjective other than botched this investigation right from the start. Because police only took five photos of her body. Five. And if you know, you know. In a crime scene, like... You have to, the the role of police officers is to give the DA enough evidence that if indeed it's not an accident, it's a homicide or whatever the case may be, that they have enough evidence to prosecute without a, you know, what did you say, MD? Beyond a reasonable doubt. Beyond a reasonable doubt. So you got to prove that. MD says all the time, that's a heavy burden. So I'm like, they only took five photos, y'all. Five. One, two, three, four, five, stop. Five. I'm about to go. (laughs) I'm just saying because you guys, what that, I'm sorry. And I know I'm being silly with that, but I'm for real because five, you, you imagine you have a body on the ground. I don't care if you thought it was an accident. If you thought it was murder, I don't care what you, if you thought it was suicide, five pictures, that's it. Five pictures. I take more pictures when I'm doing a selfie of myself just to make sure I got the right angle. And here is a dead body on the ground. Like five pictures. That's it. And we can give you the five pictures on our Instagram. I mean, we won't show you the, you know, the bodies. We have pictures that are, you know, um, they're appropriate. But where you will see the type of picture that they took, it's just not even enough to be able to have a articulate conversation about whether or not it was an accident, a suicide, or a murder. Those are the things that you should be walking into as an investigator whenever you're coming upon a body. That's 101. I'm not even a police officer, and I get that. Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, to say, y'all can feel that we're frustrated. So it was poorly preserved crime scene. They didn't take Gene and Jose away. They actually left all the people who were still in the house. They left them at the house by themselves inside of the house. And we all know what's what's the first thing that investigators do when they have multiple suspects that they're investigating? Do they keep them in the room all together so that they can come up with whatever lie that they want to perpetrate? No, they separate them. And they did not do this for Jean and Madeline and Jose and whoever else was left in the house. In addition to, they didn't even conduct interviews the same day. Like for some people, they did an interview the same day. For others, they waited weeks. 
And some people were questioned, not at the police station, but at Jean's house. And they didn't take any phone evidence. They they waited months before they ever got the phone to the their their phone so that by that point several of the the people that were there had new phones and text messages were lost right so there was just no care inside of this investigation because i can confidently say they did not care so the autopsy finally comes back and what they noticed that there were just cuts everywhere there were cuts on her wrist her lower legs, forearm, eyelid. There was a laceration to her right ventricle of her heart. It was a it was a cut on her chin. Her head, neck, and torso um, were also lacerated. Her wrist was dislocated, and she suffered a brain bleed and a fracture to her spine. All of those things by itself cannot kill you. Just want to throw that out there. But get this, none of the bones in her face were broken. 40 feet. Now, the way that she was placed outside, it, it was as if she did not brace her fall. Because, like, if you're laying, it's like if you're just laying on the ground and your palms are up. But she fell down. And naturally, I want to say, is a natural reflex for you to brace yourself when you're falling. You know, it's just natural. We just naturally do it. But the way that she was found... It looked like she didn't even brace her fall. And if you're falling from 40 feet, you're going to have broken bones in your face. Not only were there were no broken bones, but her teeth were in perfect condition. None of her teeth were broken. Her jaw, nothing was broken. And this really kind of gets the theory going that a lot of people have in relation to this case that she was killed somewhere else. It wasn't this 40 feet fall that killed her. They believe that she was killed somewhere else. So no sexual assault kit was conducted. A lot of these small cuts have a lot of people believing that these were defense wounds. And so usually when there are defense wounds present, you do a fingernail DNA test to see if there are any other people's DNA present underneath your fingernails. And they did not conduct that. But what they did conduct was a toxicology report. And her blood alcohol content was a 0.238, which is three times the legal limit. The legal limit in Georgia. She also had Xanax in her system with trace amounts of marijuana. According to everyone, including her husband Lee, she never took Xanax. And Xanax is used as a anxiety medication. It calms you down. But a lot of people it puts you to sleep. And so they couldn't understand why she had Xanax in her system. And specifically, what was interesting about the Xanax from the autopsy report, Steph, is that it hadn't metabolized in her system yet. So what does that mean? Can you explain that to us? Yeah, so basically when it's not metabolized, that means your body has not had a chance to even process it. So it didn't process in her body. Like the effects that that you get from taking Xanax... Had not even happened. So would that mean that... At least fully. Okay. So would that mean that she took the Xanax shortly before she died? Exactly. So what? here's what we do know. We know that Bridget, I mentioned she had anxiety. And Bridget wore a vial of Xanax around her neck. 
like you know those vials and you know what i think of cruel intentions cruel intentions yeah like and how they you know that girl used to have the the vial around her neck and she would take it out and it was cocaine sniff it. Mm-hmm. it was it was cocaine but so you're saying a vial like that yes but it had yeah xanax in it right and i don't know if it was a vial small enough for the pills or she crushed them up hey i don't know bridget you can update us and bridget or you cannot but Bridget was the last one to see. To see Tamla. So it would kind of make sense in my estimation, in my judgment only, right, that she probably got it from Bridget because Bridget was known to give out her prescription drugs to her friends. Now, what's interesting is, is that when Bridget was interviewed by the police, Bridget told them, I know that this is a controlled substance and I'm not supposed to hand it out to people and I don't hand it out to anybody else. But then after they investigated her phone records, they found out that she was giving it to friends in the past. And she then comes back and, and, you know, recants her story and says, well, I would only give it to like people that I knew, my friends that I knew had issues, you know, like I wouldn't give it to anybody I didn't know. And I never gave it to Tamala. So she says this in her interview after she already got caught lying. And what I think is just really interesting is that what you may not know is that that is a crime. It is a crime. So in case you don't know, when you get prescribed medication, Steph has medication right now for going to the dentist. And if she were to give me her medication, like even if it was one, like, oh, I said, girl, my head hurts. She's like, oh, girl, I got, I have some prescribed ibuprofen. If she were to give me that prescribed ibuprofen, she could get in jail. She could go, she could get arrested for that. If the, the Not saying that the cops would come arrest her for that, but it is a crime. Absolutely, which is something that, you know, most people don't know that because they just think, oh, I'm just giving my friend, you know. Right, so I'm just telling you so you can keep that in in your back pocket. Don't do it. Okay. (laughs) So the cause of death, I mentioned that all of those little abrasions and cuts that um, Tamala had in the autopsy was not, all those things by itself wasn't the cause of her death. But she actually, it was ruled that the cause of her death was multiple blunt force injuries and they ruled her death accidental they said that she tripped and fell over the garden rail that i told you guys about so on february 20th they officially closed well not closed the case but they officially ruled her death accidental now this is just more information about what happened in the days after her death lee went to the funeral home to view her body before the services. And he said that he probably scared just about everybody in there because he immediately yelled, what the expletive? Because he looked at his wife and she had what seemed to be black shoe polish on her face. And he's like, why does she have black shoe polish on her face? And they said, oh, well, we were trying to cover up the bruising on her face. Of course, I'm going to, I'm, y'all going to see pictures of Tamala, but Tamala was like a very light, a light brown. And to put black shoe polish on her face is like, what? Why would you do that? Because you have makeup. And I'm sure he was ready to like view his wife and know that she was probably bloated or probably, you know, didn't look like who she, he knew her as. Right, he was expecting but to, put, to, to, to see that she wasn't his typical. Right. 
And so he immediately told told them, take this black shoe polish off of her. And he compared it to blackface. If you don't know what blackface is, just go back to what they used to call back in the day. Hollywood used to have minstrel shows. And because black people were never allowed to participate in acting at that time, they would put black shoe polish on the white actors' faces. And they were little sambos. And they would, you know be the funny caricature of black people, what they presume black people to be ignorant, dumb. They didn't know anything and they were just funny and only for entertainment. And that's what he compared that black shoe, that black shoe polish on Tamla's face to. So that's up for you to judge, but I wanted to put that out there as well. Like, did they do this on purpose? Is this a part of that culture that I spoke of in the beginning of the, this racist undertones within that community? So there was really no regard for Tamala's family, starting with the police right on down to the funeral home. So they have the funeral and they re- they lay her to rest. Um, so the police are doing somewhat of an investigation, if we can even call it that. But what we do know is that Jose had differing stories. Initially, he tells the police that, you know, he... Madeline came to him and that's when he runs outside and y'all heard the 911 tape. He walks. He walks. And he said then later on as the investigation continues that actually he goes to the balcony upon waking up. He doesn't see Tamala who's on the ground. He doesn't see her. But what he does see is a cigarette and a lighter that is sitting on the ground out on the balcony. So he picks that up puts that on the fireplace and then proceeds to walk downstairs. And it's when he gets downstairs that he sees Tamala's body. Like why my thing is, is that, and I've said this on, on, you know, on this show before, right. That oftentimes police officers will question you multiple times and, and they'll ask you the same questions over and over again. And it's not indicative of the fact that they think that you're lying, but it is indicative of the fact that when traumatic events occur, our brain will protect itself and sometimes forget details. And it's not until, you know, after you've told the story that you get those details in line. Like, oh, okay, yeah, there was a, oh yeah, there was this red cat that was there. Oh yeah, there was, you know, and it's, it, but when your stories differ so vastly, that it is apparent that one of the stories has to be a lie because both can't both stories can't be true then that's where it should peak a red flag for an investigator right because here Jose either was woken up by Madeline and then found out that she was dead because through Madeline or he walked down the stairs on his own accord and then saw her her body. Both can't be true. You either were woken up by Madeline, and then you and and she told you, or you walked down on your own accord and you found the body. But both cannot be true. Right. I mean, and the police didn't think too much into his inconsistencies or anybody's for that matter, because by March they had already closed the investigation. And said that um, it was an accidental death. But what we do know is that Jose was actually a probation officer. 
And he was fired because he was trying to access classified information related to Tamala's case. Not only was he doing that, but Tamala's best friend, Michelle Graves, publicly spoke out against all of the people involved in, in like who were in the house, I should say. She publicly spoke out against them, called them by names. And so she was on their on their radar. She was on everybody's radar because she was calling out people. And he actually started to look up classified information or private information about her. And his job found out about it and he was fired. So he was using his position to like yield, you know, to find out more about the case, which just even brings on more questions and more suspicion towards Jose and his story. Um, Jean's behavior, who is the homeowner here, it was very questionable because Jean actually went out as the police were doing their investigation. She went out and bought them Dunkin' Donut gift cards and her aunt Madeline made them cookies. And there's actually a recording that's online where she's talking to the police as they come by the house to interview people at her house, which is weird and not protocol. But she says, hey, I just wanted to give you guys some Dunkin' Donut gift cards. And I didn't even know that my Aunt Madeline made you guys cookies. But here they are. I know a lot of people would probably think this is weird because y'all are, you know, maybe they would think I'm only doing it because y'all are investigating this case. But I just thought you guys deserved it. Why did they deserve it? Why did they deserve it? It just brings out all of these thoughts about colluding, like, were they in on it? It just didn't seem right at all. Now, a detective who was on the case named Mike Christian was found to be or caught sharing classified information information about Tamala's case with his girlfriends. Plural. He had multiple girlfriends that he was telling about this case, and he referred to this case as that porch lady. That brings about all types of race problems, discrimination. I mean, porch monkeys, porch lady, you get my heavy drift. But because he was being investigated, they also found out that another investigator who was on the case by the name of Tyler had a racist past. They took pictures that were exposed of little Sambos and they took pictures of this smiling. So it brought into question their character and were they even worthy to investigate a case like this? Are you even worthy to be an investigator? Let's pu- let's put a period after that. So Mike Christian ended up actually like resigning from his position. We don't know what happened to Tyler, but a lot of people started to catch wind of this case because you know in 2020 the world was shut down and we all had a little bit more time on our hands, and that's about the time when I heard of this case. And a lot of entertainers, celebrities started to tweet about it, started to Instagram about it. And all of this talk really helped to push the case in the forefront. Because in June of 2020, the GBI opened up the case, however, or reopened the case. However, they came to the same conclusion, that it was an accidental death. Now, Tamala's family had an independent pathologist do another autopsy and reevaluate the evidence that was found. Now, I mentioned that her wrist was dislocated. However, that's incorrect. She had a wrist compound fracture, which means that it not only was it dislocated, it the bone was sticking out. The part of the bone that was broken 
was sticking out of her arm. And we have a picture of that. So it's just like they tried to mitigate even some of the injuries that she got, you know, even in their own autopsy report. Um, And, you know, the pathologist ruled that it was a homicide. But this is an independent pathologist. This is not, you know, the state's. So Tamala's mother and her sister, Summer, that I spoke of earlier, actually sat down with CNN to express their disdain with how the police department handled the case in the first place and how they just believed that the truth was not being told. Summer actually said on that interview, she's like, I've never seen my sister be a sloppy drunk, ever. And I just think for them to say that my sister fell or you know, tripped over this garden rail is just preposterous. Like there's just no way that that happened. So that's the bare facts of the case as it stands today. So let's get a little bit into the theories or a lot of bit into the theories. MD, tell us what a lot of people think was the motive or what actually happened on November 3rd. Well, you know, and we kind of t- touched on it a little bit, but we'll kind of dive into more of our thoughts as it relates to the theory. So the first theory is what they conclude the the GBI concluded happened, and that is that she fell over the guardrail and died. Um, now, when you see the picture of this guardrail, it, it really calls into question how anybody drunk or not drunk because I do think that you have to take into account that she whether she was sloppy drunk like her sister is saying or whether she wasn't sloppy drunk like her sister was saying um we got to take into account that alcohol was present that that marijuana was found in her her body and that Xanax was found in her body now to to what each of those substances played in the role of her death we don't know so all we can do is speculate but they're saying that she fell over this guardrail, and because of this fall, she died. Now, Steph, what I struggle with is that they're saying it was blunt force trauma because we got to use all the facts that you've given us. So they're saying blunt force trauma happened. Now, when I think of blunt force trauma, I'm thinking of something being hit, like somebody, like something hitting somebody. Now, I know that that's not the only way. Can you explain to us how they are surmising that blunt force trauma is how she died from falling over this guardrail? Now, I don't understand how it's implied falling over the guardrail that that is pictured there. The only thing that I can think is that because they're saying a fall did happen over the balcony, right? So, <laughs> if you fall 40 feet, you obviously hit your head. That's blunt force from, from 40 feet. I just don't have, I don't get how she, I mean, she also received blunt force trauma from this, this guardrail. So, that's not, I don't see it. So, to be clear, they are saying, that she fell over the balcony, got up, and I, I just I want you guys to walk with me. Two story, a two story house. You have a window. I mean, you have a balcony off the two story house. She's on that balcony. She's 
drinking or she's smoking her cigarette and she's so intoxicated, so inebriated that she falls over the garbage. Uh, she falls over the balcony. Now, she does not brace herself whatsoever. She falls. Now, that's not so beyond belief for me. It's a little strange, but it's not so beyond belief because when you are inebriated, you do some really stupid stuff. And so maybe in her fall, she doesn't have the wherewithal or that just natural reaction that we all do when we're falling to brace ourselves. And she manages to not only not brace herself from this fall, but to get up from this fall with no broken bones in her face, no teeth missing, no obvious injuries to her face, even though she face planted, right? They're saying that at that point she was lucky enough and I and here here's I'm trying to fall I'm trying to follow their logic because I do know that when you get in car accidents and you're drunk like usually you don't feel it you don't you don't feel that that reaction so maybe she didn't feel the trauma she's able to get up and then she falls over this guardrail hits her head again and she dies that's theory one Right. I mean, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of I feel like not hope, but there's a lot of like extreme. We got to accept some really extreme, very lucky and coincidental. Like, I, like we got to accept some things that's like, wow, that happened and that happened and that happened. It's like we got to accept some really extreme things that can all those extreme things happen. I guess so they can, but it just seems so illogical to me that a fall from 40 feet without bracing yourself whatsoever would result in zero and you fall on your face would result in zero broken, broken anything. That's just really strange. So the second theory is that she fell from the guardrail I mean, I'm sorry, she fell from the balcony and she just died. And that is how she died is that fall. Now, I'm almost inclined to believe that that's what happened. Like whether that was an accident, intentional or intentional on her part to jump or intentional on somebody else's part to push her. I'm more inclined to believe that. I think I struggle with believing that she got up from the 40 foot fall and then walked and then fell again. I think I struggle with that. And what I really find interesting about this theory in particular, it is the theory that was initially believed. And as a matter of fact, Jean, the homeowner, actually got on social media and said that that's what happened. That she fell over this balcony, that that's what, ha that's what occurred. And, and investigators, the, the first investigator on the scene, initially that was what he concluded, that she must have fallen over the guardrail. But I mean, I'm sorry, the balcony. But the reason why they disregarded that theory, the reason why they threw that theory to the wind is because of how her body was positioned. Because if her body was found with her her arms, her palms f 
facing up, her face, face planted into the ground. It doesn't make sense. Like that, the positioning, because when you're falling and there's no bracing, your body shouldn't land the way that her body landed. And so they couldn't make that theory make sense. And so that's how the guardrail was then added into the picture. So that's theory two. Now, theory three is what her family, you know, is speculates. And they really, they're like, listen, whether it was an accident or whether it was murder, we just know that it's not what the police are saying. That there was something else involved. That Tamala was, Tamala died in some other place and body was moved to the location in which she was found. Now, we don't have all the details as to what that could be because guess what? They only took five pictures. They didn't look under her nails for DNA. They didn't do a rape, uh, you know, a, a sexual assault kit on, on Tamala. So we don't know. It could be a myriad of things that could have happened. Like, could it have been that, like, she did accidentally die and then they freak out and then they start to try to cover it up? Yeah. Could it have been that maybe, you know, they try to take advantage of her, Jose and Jean, and, you know, she fights back and in the fighting back gets killed and then they move her body to cover it up? Yeah, all those. But but we won't know because we didn't collect. And by we, I mean, the GBI didn't collect the evidence to really be able to explore what could have been. And it really is unfortunate because I don't think that uh, shy of somebody coming forward and saying, this is what happened that night and confessing, I don't know if we really will ever be able to, to identify it. And I think that's why, you know, even after they, the, the case was revitalized in 2020 and they go back and they, they look at the evidence again, it's not a lot of evidence to look at. I was just about to say like, um, you accidentally said the GBI, but the the Cummings Police Department right, didn't. Yeah, no, they they didn't collect the evidence. And so when the GBI went back to look at the evidence, they said that a lot of her injuries were consistent with um, defense wounds, but because they didn't collect that evidence, hey, they don't have anything else to go by. So those you ha you know, I'm really interested to hear what you guys think. Um, because I think this will really make that this conversation even more robust. And if you just want to, you know, go down the rabbit hole of this, just get on Reddit. I did. And, and there's another, <laughs> there's um, a lot of theories. Yeah. 11 alive, one, one alive.com. They really have a, a good, um, interactive, uh, process. You'll be able to get, get to all the nine, the nine one one calls, the interviews of the, of the, uh, you know, people that were at the, at the party, you'll get to see some videos, pictures of the party, videos that Steph talked about are also easily just in one spot on 11alive.com. And Reddit has all the theories and you can go down the rabbit hole for days on this, uh, on there. But I think it's just, Steph, for me, every time you try to put the pieces together to make the pieces make sense, you're left with more questions. And I think that's the frustrating thing Thing about this case is that we we just it's not that it was unknowable it's that it is unknowable 
because it was botched. The investigation was botched. Right. With that said, let's go ahead and go into the takeaway. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'll go first. Um, I, you know, this, this, I had heard about this case, but it was purely like, you know, just what was on social media. I never read an article that went in depth about Tamala. So it was, um, good to like kind of really kind of dig inside of this case and really know like the the facts of it that we know um but for me I really have to say that my takeaway is similar to a case that I just did and not trying to plug pay subscription but trying to plug pay subscription I just did a case because it was a very short case but because the community and the and law enforcement came together they were able to solve this case quick and what happens i think as citizens we often think that we solely put that in the hands of law enforcement right we're like that's your job that's why we spend our taxpayer dollars to to give you your salary but the truth is if it works in conjunction together you can get cases solved and often it doesn't and so in this case because nobody is speaking up, because nobody is saying anything for whatever the reasons they are, the intentions, race, whatever, this family has no answers. And we often talk about how, you know, families don't get the closure that they need, you know, just in a in a true total sense. But if you know that the people who are responsible for your loved one's death is behind bars, that's a that's somewhat of a closure, right? Because you know who did it. But the Horsford family is literally left without any answers. And I, I, I for myself, um, just think that my takeaway is these people that we call our friends, and it's not Tamala's fault. It's not Kanika Jenkins' fault. It's not Shanquilla Robinson's fault. Because they genuinely thought, and I think I have genuinely thought some people were my friends, and it turned out that they weren't. And it was with a situation that I could recover from. But I just caution everybody to know who you can be around and be yourself with and know who you can't. Because the truth is, all skin folk and kin folk, and well, we ain't even got to have that discussion about white folk. Not trying to be funny. But you know what I'm saying? You really have to be on your guard. And I think Tamla had the right idea when she was like, I want to go home. And we don't know why she wanted to go home. It could could have just been she just wanted to sleep in a bed. But... When they kind of like, you know, just heavily inferred that she stayed, you know, I wish she would have followed her gut. You know what I mean? And so I just caution all of our listeners to be be careful. Uber is always an option, as MD was, was saying earlier. Um, getting somebody to pick you up. Just just be careful, y'all, because unfortunately, we cannot trust the police to do their job. And because they did not do their job, they didn't do their due diligence in this case, we'll never really know what happened to Tamla. Yeah, we'll never really know 
unless somebody comes forward and, and maybe, maybe somebody will, maybe somebody will, you know, get, will get a heart and get a conscious and say, you know, I just want to clear it. But I think I really don't feel like my takeaway is going to be much different than yours. So I'm not going to be lengthy on mine, but it just is so eerily familiar to so many cases that we have covered, right. With Shanquilla Robinson and, and, um, what's the other case that, Kanika Jenkins. Kanika Jenkins. And it's it's eerily familiar because it has some of the same undertones. And that is you're hanging out with people that you believe in on some level you can trust. But the truth of the matter is, is that there is always something inside of us just kind of like we can peep when something's a little off. Some of us have a very strong discerning spirit and some of, some of us it's just it's a little more quieter. But we all have something. And we all need to pay attention to that little nagging voice that's saying, uh, and I don't know this to be a fact, but when you listen to the details of the story, it appears that Tamala had that feeling a couple of times. She had it when she didn't really want to go. And, you know, we can write that off and say, oh, she just, you know, didn't want to go. But maybe, maybe, could it be that it was that, that little nagging voice saying, uh, some ain't quite right. And then, you know, when she gets there, you know, she, and she, she hangs out, she, whatever, turns up, has a good time. But then she's like, I want to go home. Could it be that that, na- that was another nagging voice that was saying, you need to get up out of here, girl. <laughs> like you need to go home. And we won't know if that was the nagging voice. But what I'm saying to you is that you got to pay attention to that voice. Try to learn that voice. How you learn that voice is to sit with yourself. Allow there to be quiet. Allow there to be stillness. You know, because if if you're always drowning out the silence with noise, with your phone, with TikTok, with Instagram, with social media, with TV, with audios, podcasts, and all the rest, you'll never get to be familiar with the voice enough to be able to recognize when it's saying, you got to get up out of here. Or, hey, you know what? You can go hang out with them, but and they're drinking, but you don't get to. Or for me, I know for me, I'm not going to go hang out with a bunch of people that I'm not really, really cool with unless I'm bringing somebody that I'm really, really cool with. Like, Steph, you got to come. Like, come on, hang out with me, girl. Right on. You know, because now I have somebody with me. You know, I know these people because I do see them at practices, and I get it. I really do because I I live that life on a day-to-day basis. But I don't know them for real. I know them because our kids are in proximity. As soon as our kids are not in proximity, you're not in my life. You don't know the depths and the stories behind the stories. And so I'm going to bring the person that does know the stories and the depths because I want I know that they're going to have my back. And so that's the thing. I think that that's the eerie, eerie familiarity between the Shanquilla Robinsons and the Kanika Johnson stories. It's, it's the fact that you got to pay attention to that nagging voice. Be familiar with that voice. If it looks off, if it looks weird, if it looks funky, listen. Because it's better to be safe than sorry. It's better to find out that, oh, it really wasn't nothing to worry about than to not be able to find that out because you now are dead and your loved ones are left. And then you, on top of all of that, on top of all the cruelty of all of it, you get some investigators that just don't care and they botched the investigation so bad that the only hope left that your family has to resolve the case is for someone to come forward 
and my heart goes out to the Horsford family. And I only pray that somebody who has any information comes forward to break this case wide open, whether it's accidental or murder. Yeah, for for all of you out there, I think this is why I decided to cover this case, uh, because I knew that a lot of people knew about it in 2020, um, but maybe didn't know the ending. But also just to be like a sounding board to say, you know, maybe one of the people, I don't know how they would, but maybe they stumble upon this podcast and get convicted and want to say something. And so keep your ears open. And listen and say something. Because as a community, we have to look out for each other. Like it or not, we're all in the community together. We're all here on earth together. And we have to look out for one another. But I want to go ahead and encourage everybody to share, if you care, this episode with friends and family. We are going to be diving into our music theme. We haven't really had a theme per se this far or thus far on this season. But... You guys, if you have any requests about murder and music, please, please, please let us. I wanted to make sure that I encouraged you guys to make sure that you recommend cases that have a resolve because that will really help us so that we can gather all the research so that we can do the case you've requested because I'm here for the cases that are requested. Right. And so just for clarif- for further clarification, you don't want to recommend a case that just happened a month ago or two weeks ago because it does it's not enough information on the Internet or just for us to do research on to really give you a full episode. And, you know, we're here to give you the full episodes. Another reminder that we're doing the giveaway for the paid subscribers and that will be announced on Friday. So you still have time to get in where you fit in. But we will see you next week for a case in Murder in Music. So until next time, friends, this is Murder in the Black.